Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. Welcome to the to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of finding out where your next piece of bread, however encrusted uh, and and wet, and um, you know, where where did you find this, Trav? Hey, don't look at me. I'm allergic to mold. I didn't pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> this week on Gaming on the Frontier, we are Heading out into the wasteland, well, you know, whatever wasteland that might be, we are doing post-apocalyptic gaming. So, you know, we, and we're we're not going to draw too much of a distinction between uh, tabletop and uh, and and video games because you know there's an awful lot of really good post-apocalyptic video games, but you know most of them are pretty much on rails. So we're probably going to be a little bit more interested in talking about something where you have at least a fair amount of agency, yeah. you know, to go and do what you want to do and, and, and decide what it is that you're actually going to do, you know. So, uh, you know, unless, of course, you're in one of those, like, massively, uh, you know, multiplayer online uh, games where you can do stuff like that, but the, those all have their, their limitations because someone has to basically create all the objects for you to, to interact with versus a tabletop game where you can basically say, I'm interacting with that object. And the GM goes, okay, which is why I've always considered tabletop to be a, a you know, a superior form of gaming over uh, video games. Yeah. But, but to define a post-apocalyptic game requires that the entire world be grossly altered with a severe breakdown of existing structures, physical, religious, social, and ecological. So, you know, we're not talking about where some little bad thing happens. We're, we're talking about where it really, you know, where it's basically, it's, it's, it's game over, you know, from aliens, you know. Uh, if you aren't ready or if you're not lucky uh, or something, you are dead. And, um, and, and, and if you're lucky, and if other people are lucky, you're dead somewhere where they can eat you. Now I'm really hungry. I haven't eaten yet. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, long pork is 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 highly uh, uh, overrated. I think uh, never having had it myself, other than the few uh, um, fingernail pairings. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the uh, I'm just you know some people you know was say it's so much better, but whatever you know okay. it's, it's 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 all kinds of. There's all kinds of meat out there. So, and of course, in a post-apocalyptic world, meat is probably one of the uh, it's it's the best thing for you because it has the most nutrition yeah. and the most energy, you know, and such. But it's the worst for you because it, it it basically everything likes to eat it. So it gets infected, it gets rotten fast. It's just you know people you get into competition over it. It's just you know a problem. So. Uh, but yeah, depending upon the type of apocalyptic, that may be all you have. 
because if your apocalypse includes a nuclear winter where the sky basically gets gets blocked, the sun gets blocked, like in the Matrix, well, you know, you're not growing crops, not unless you have a, you know, a, a, a some kind of a nuclear reactor somewhere that managed to uh, keep keep you know out of sight and keep going so they can continue to grow things like that. But uh, most of the time, when I you know think of post-apocalyptic worlds, um, and you know unless uh, you know you do have some kind of sunlight going on, you're going to be hunting. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. So, all right. So um, uh, let's talk about the let's let's first get over the the types of apocalyptic worlds that we're talking about, okay? And the first one, the one I grew up with, literally, okay, was radioactive world or burned world, okay? Because uh, I grew up in, you know, the 60s. Uh, I was born, you know, in the 50s, grew up in the 60s, uh, went to high school and college in the 70s. So... We were really expecting, you know, I mean, it was in all the literature, especially since I was reading science fiction and such, that uh, the, the Russians, you know, the Soviets were going to bomb us, and we were going to bomb them, and it was going to be mutually assured destruction. But guess what? I was, you know, was I prepared for that? No, I wasn't prepared. So I'm just basically, you know, reading about, you know, desperately reading stories and 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 manuals from the government about how to survive, you know, the up the the soon to come apocalyptic world, and not having too much hope that I'm going to actually be able to live in it. Yeah. So radioactive. Yeah. So radioactive world was a very, uh, very personal and very real thing to me. Now, you know, there are other forms of, of, of radioactive and burned worlds besides uh, the, um, uh, the, the standard uh, nuke, nuke kind of thing. Because, and that was really pretty much what it seemed like in most of the literature. That's all anybody considered as an apocalypse in those days, because I guess because it was so immediate. But other types of burned worlds are uh, where, uh, like in the core, the uh, uh, for some reason the the, the core of the planet stops rotating and therefore our uh, electromagnetic field around the Earth disappears and all the 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 massive amounts of radiation that come in in large piles from the uh, the sun basically just plows right into the Earth and just fries us. It may, it may take you know it will it may not happen immediately. Uh, now, if there's a really big one, like a huge solar, you know, uh, uh, what's it called? It's called a mass ejection, I think, Trav. Solar ejection, where the entire surface of the sun basically blows off in a direction. If that hits the planet, oh. then yeah, we're we're burned. <laughs> yeah, that's basically eight minutes. You got eight minutes to live. Speed yeah. of light from sun it, to earth, it takes eight minutes for the light to reach earth. Right. Right. Well, actually, I would say no, because that's actually a mass of high energy particles coming your way. So you might you probably would have a little bit more time, but I don't think a whole lot more time. Okay. You know, maybe a day. I don't know how fast, you know, the things move when they do that. Now, the solar wind, of course, moves pretty fast, but I'm talking about it. It's literally, you know, and this happens on the on the on the sun, not infrequently, but it does happen. 
And, and fortunately, every time it's happened in the past, it's gone off in a different direction than us. But it could happen. <laughs> so uh, it's not, to, it's, and we're not prepared in any way to deal with that. So it's, uh, it, it could be, it could, you know, and, it, and I'm just thinking that the only way, the only possibility of survival would be like some of those deep salt mines. Oh, yeah. Like, um, actually, the ones here uh, in the Detroit area that are about, oh, third of a mile down under. I'd, I'd say a couple of miles down myself, but okay. Yeah. Basically, here in the Detroit area, it's like through Detroit, Allen Park, Melvindale, communities directly south of Detroit. We have a massive salt mine. and I mean, we sell like road salt to all over the nation. And these pat these tunnels go for probably a dozen miles. Uh-huh. And it's about a third of a mile, like twelve hundred feet underground. Right. So yeah, we we have something like that here. I don't know how many people it could hold, but you know. Not many. Yeah. I'm sure that, I'm sure there'll be whoever it's holding would have a lot of guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the government, you know, possibly the National well, it's a Guard. Company. It's a private company that owns it. It's not government-owned it, thing. It, it's like it wouldn't matter. It, if, it was a, if we were talking about this kind of situation, it would be whoever had the guns would be the one who owned it. Yeah, yeah. Might <laughs> makes right. Yeah, that's one of the main yeah. things in a post-apocalyptic world. Right. And, and you know, and, and, and the entire world would catch on fire when you know, if this thing happened. Yeah. Okay. And... Uh, uh, so you'd have, of course, the nuclear winter because of the smoke. Uh, it would use. It would probably burn up most of the available oxygen. Uh, you can only hope that it didn't kill all the plankton in the ocean, so the ocean could produce, start producing more oxygen because that's where most of our oxygen comes from is from plankton. Uh, so well, it was from uh, plant life, like the trees. Well, that's 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 not the majority. That's the minority. Really? The majority, yeah. The majority actually comes from ocean plankton. Oh wow! Which is okay. which, which is why the you know as as they acidify the ocean, you know, yeah. it's not good for the plankton. You know, now the plankton loves it when you basically toss you know certain things into the ocean that causes those algae blooms. But you know, most of the time it's not a good thing. Oh okay. So, but uh, yeah, so um, they'd have to have some way of. Uh, of, I don't know, uh, getting the, the most out of the oxygen that's left. I mean, so I, I, I can't imagine them breaking down rock to get it uh, because that'd take a lot of power and yeah. heat and such. But I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's not my scenario, so I haven't, you know, if I was trying to do that scenario, I'd work something out. But, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, it, you have to pretty much hope that the entire surface doesn't get, you know, burned off. Because uh, if it does, then you basically you got nothing. You know, there's there's no air. You know, the air is going to be you know CO two mostly, and, uh, and then that's going to that's going to disappear because you know the CO two is going to be absorbed by the ocean, and so you're going to end up with mostly just nitrogen. And nitrogen is good to breathe. It's okay in our it's okay as part of our atmosphere, not so good as our atmosphere. Right. Yeah. Our our atmosphere is like nitrogen, oxygen, and some other trace elements. But nitrogen right. is the majority of. It. I mean, you can sit there. And it's over seventy percent. Yeah, you can breathe pure oxygen for a while. That's why you're given oxygen. You know, when like you're in a fire and they put the mask on you, 
but that's just to help the you know to oxygenate your blood to get you going and get it out get the funk out of your system yeah that's because your normal oxygen delivery system has been compromised yes okay so they give you extra oxygen in those cases but normally you can't survive like that it would it would kill you yeah if you kept if you breathe if you tried to breathe pure oxygen for any extended period of time well yeah let's see it it's I'm sure there is a process for over oxygenation of the blood this these are the times I would need Miranda here um, right and if you well okay and if you get too much nitrogen that's nitrogen narcosis aka the bends right okay, that takes a really that 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 only happens under pressure yeah right okay I just wanted to get okay wanted to get that clear all right yeah yeah so uh but yes and, and actually you know, like over giving people too much oxygen or too little oxygen is it has been the MacGuffin in a number of murder mysteries where people just uh, yeah. died and nobody could figure out why they died and it's because somebody manipulated the, the content of the air they were breathing until they collapsed and had what looked like a heart attack oh okay yeah okay so uh, now of course radioactive the good news is uh, they've done a lot of research on uh, on people who were heavily exposed to radiation in Nagasaki and Hiroshima. As a matter of fact, there's this one poor guy who actually was in both cities when they blew up. I'm not trying to be snarky or, you know, disrespect any listeners of that ethnicity who might have had relatives gone but that sounds like a poor life choice oh this happened i'm gonna run to this other city what do you mean this is happening here too yeah this, yeah uh, again well, I'm, not you know, to, I'm not i'm not trying yeah. to disrespect any of our listeners who've had ancestors who went through those two events right. but right yeah well here here's the ironic thing about it was is for a long time afterwards because they weren't you know like totally uh, they, they weren't like unaware of the effects of radiation you know the japanese yeah so uh and he and his wife were afraid to have children because they thought they were going to, you know, end up with two-headed mutants. Yeah. Uh, or that, or they were going to come out, you know, horribly mutated or, you know, uh, disabled or something like that. Finally, they uh, decided to have kids anyways, take the risk. And they had, I th think, two children, could be three, and they were fine. Hmm. The guy, he lived into his 80s. There is a comic book. It was a, a, a manga which was later converted to a comic book for American audiences. And it was, it came out in like the early 90s, and I'm blanking on the name, but it had to do with either his experiences or the guy was told the experiences of a young Japanese person, I think a young man, who went through post Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan. Mm -hmm. And I, as I said, for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of it. I just remember seeing the ad with, you know, the face of the young man just, you know, amazed because of what was happening. Right, right. It'll probably come yeah. to me after we stop taping, of course. Um, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this, so what, what we've learned is, is that because we have DNA, which is two strands of RNA together, uh, your body has the has a very clever method of fixing damage. So, for example, is if one side of it gets damaged, it just looks to the other side, which is the mirror image, and 
replaces chops out that piece and replaces it with its with the other side's mirror image and basically fixes it. Okay. And I mean, it's, it's nothing's perfect, of course, but it it, it turned. You know, they were really expecting that the people were all going to come down with cancer and that it was going to shorten their lives by you know decades and all these things like that but they actually and there has been that it's not like there wasn't a rise in cancer and leukemia and these yeah. other things like that but nothing like what they were expecting i mean they they thought they were a doomed generation uh the the people that, that got were in those areas that got irradiated and it turned out that they weren't so bad so these stories where you know essentially people managed to survive in 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 you know mildly irradiated areas where you know the first the initial radiation goes away you know and then there might be some things like metal that's still irradiated because yeah. metal's really good at holding radiation the only thing the, the only kind of radiation that really really hurts is the radiation that gets into the food supply like yeah. strontium 90 and some of those and some of those other ones those are the ones that cause the birth defects those are the ones that cause the problems but just straight irradiation or you know if you make a quick run into a, an irradiated area and run back out not so bad i mean there, livable <laughs> there are two things that i remember about radiation one of them has to do with that area again there was a lady who had young japanese woman had a nice decent flower dress like white with red flowers on it she was far enough away from the radiation that she survived, but that pattern on the flowers was permanently etched into her skin. They showed mm. her back. I remember seeing the pictures, and the flowers were there. And I, and of course, I saw this. I was like in my teens. He would say my jaw hit the floor, seeing what that had done. Yeah. And then, of course, I think I've mentioned this book before. It came out in the seventies, and refer. I'm referring back to your comment about irradiated people afraid to have kids. Yeah. Geek love. It was about the two people that. They were in the circus and they wanted to have kids. So oh, they willingly expose themselves to low levels of radiation so they would have deformed children. They were Ew. a couple of carnies, and Ick. just yeah, it, your 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 thing about the couple afraid to have kids and then they had them and they were fine. It reminded me of that. So yeah, it's. <laughs> I, I hate to say it. I mean, uh. low levels of radiation is kind of a crapshoot. It just depends yeah. on how malleable your genetic structure is and how resilient you are and which one gets which genes get hit yeah <laughs> if you get hit in the junk dna which folks i'm gonna tell you now it's never good getting hit in the junk but if you get hit, hit in the junk dna you you can well, wait a minute. oh i'll edit i'll edit that out uh, <laughs> i wouldn't it's funny folks i'm gonna say this right now and i'm putting it in here today is my 50th birthday i'm having yeah. more fun than usual and yes i am sober anyways the junk DNA, if you wipe that out, as far as we know, because we've decoded the entire human genome. We finished that back maybe 15 years ago. It started in the 90s, the Human Genome Project. So yep. I'm pretty sure we know what that quote-unquote junk DNA does. If that gets irradiated, I'm pretty sure that the other strand will just copy it to complete the strand and we'll be fine. Nothing would happen. Now, if you're getting into stuff like hair, eyes, fingers, height, weight, then you got problems. Because then that's deforming the body and the and and the cells itself. So, oh no, I'm going to leave all that in there. That was, uh, <laughs> I have my. All thoughts. right. Yeah. So basically, radioactive world, as long as it's not totally burned out, is is actually a doable world to live in. Yes. 
uh, it's just it, you just got to be careful. You know, you got to have that that uh, either you have to be able to tell that those burn pat those burn patches those dead patches of, of of ground are there for a reason, or you have to you know have good filters on your your masks or yeah. things like that. You it's, it's, it, life becomes more precarious, and of course there's going to be a mad scrabble uh, and scramble for resources like food. And 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 uh, usable water and medicines and and things like that. So, but uh, you, is what I always say is that the worst thing that can happen in, in an apocalypse is, is that not enough people die. Yeah. Because then what's left is it's being shared amongst a too too large of a group and it basically all disappears and we're back to eating everybody again. Yeah. So you basically want that ninety-five to ninety-eight percent kill off. So, so technically, Robotech would be considered a post-apocalyptic game because remember, ninety-nine point nine percent of the population was left on the planet, and it was like seventy thousand or seventy million humans were left out of like six billion some. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Right. But I'm just saying that you know, I mean, if you, if you don't go that route, then then it becomes a little different. I mean, there there are some other worlds where you can have less people. I mean, you can have more people, and it still it still works. Okay. okay so. Yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's move on to the second one, which is Waterworld. Now, you know, let's let you know. Uh, I know some people get a bad thing about this because of you know a certain movie by Kevin Costner, but you know, I I, I personally you know thought I really liked the movie right to the point where you know the uh, uh, the the tanker showed up. <laughs> Which other people would say, no, then it became an actioneer and it was a lot more interesting. And I was like, I was, I just, you know, like the idea of this guy, you know, just plying his way. He was a mutant, you know, because he had the fins and stuff. The gills. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. But Waterworld can happen a lot of different ways. Uh, we know now that there is a vast, you know, like, you know, use the word from Dune, vast reservoir of water underneath um, uh, India. In that area, it's in deep rock, and it's in there, and it's probably never going to come out. But if there was something that could drive it out, it would raise the water level. No one's quite sure, but the water level of the planet would go up at least, you know, 20 to 50 feet, which would basically... The, wait a minute. Under the Indian subcontinent? Yes. Because, yeah, that was a separate continent, and it bashing up against the south part of Asia is how we get the Himalayas. Right. And apparently, since we, you know, the two biggest mountains in the world are in that range, that was a hell of a collision. But I didn't know yes. about this water under the Indian subcontinent. And if it gets out 20 feet to the ocean levels? At least. Oh, geez. And, of course, that's going to cover most of what we consider to be our world right now. I mean, you know, except where there are big hills, you know, and mountains... Most everything is pretty darn close to so sea level. So pretty much the east and west coasts of the United States would be gone up until the Rock, or at least the Sierra Nevadas and the Smokies. Right, right. Ooh. And there's a, yes, yes. And there's a book, uh, you know, uh, called Flood, which basically um, uh, talks about. I mean, it, it talks about water coming up out of these crevasses in the ocean floor, um, 
as part of the MacGuffin of the way the book works. Yeah. And it literally fills up, the, keeps raising the water level till it's above the, uh, the level of, uh, of Mount Everest. Ooh. And all you, all you have now is just a big ball of water. There's some hope that at some point, that since it, it, it happened, maybe it'll go back down in the future. No one knows why it happened. It was, it was all about the story of the people who were caught in that situation. And that and in that particular one, it took almost uh, a century for the water to fully rise, which makes a lot of sense because as as you you know as the water level rises, the circumference of the Earth is getting bigger, and so more proportionally more water has to come into the equation for you to continue to rise at that rate. So initially, it rose pretty quickly, where all of a sudden people were people were getting floods in areas that never had floods or never had floods like that. You know, and storms were like blowing, you know, uh, water ashore a lot, much worse than they ever did before. But later on, as time went on, it just kept creeping and creeping, and people kept, you know, fleeing the edge of the water for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, one of which is it was destroying the, uh, uh, you know, all the industries or whatever that was along the seashore, which was also exposing a lot of toxic elements into the water because nobody had you know, was storing them in such a way to keep them safe from being flooded like that, you know. And, of course, all the people that were dying, they were floating around in the water, so the water was toxic for that reason as well. So people kept running away from the edge of the water. The fish, however, there was a big bloom on the fish. They, it's, it's, you know, the, the, I'm sorry, the liminal uh, ecosystem, which is the ecosystem right next uh, at the edge of the water, went through a huge boom because you know as as the water kept rising, there was just more places for fish to grow and oh, yeah. and, and and have their eggs and stuff. So I mean, if you could eat the fish, uh, you know, and there were lots of places you could. You, there were like tons of them. It was like a huge resurgence of fishing, you know, and and fish, but. Um, Anyways, that that's that water world. Now, there's other ways of getting water. For example, you could get hit uh, with a, a, a uh, you could get hit by an asteroid. Okay, and I mean a really big one, and that one would uh, you know not only uh, vaporize a ton of water, and by ton I mean millions of metric tons yeah. of water into steam, which would then fall down and flood. Which was the uh, which was one uh, in addition to of course the huge a uh, hundred foot to three hundred foot tall tsunamis that yeah. would rush across the planet and basically demolish everything that wasn't you know going three hundred high which was the basis for the movie Deep Impact. Oh yeah yeah yeah, and which was the basis for the video game. Well, Deep Impact came from the video game from Lucasfilms, The Dig. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I found that out. And the character that Robert Duvall played yeah. was in the game. And I have the dig, and it was one of those games that after a while I just couldn't do it. It's sitting in my, you know, boxes somewhere. Robert Patrick voiced the character in the game, you know, Liquid Metal Guy from T2. Right. And they basically, because Spielberg wanted to make this, the dig, and unfortunately it devolved into what we now know as Deep Impact. Just a right. little trivia there, something I found out. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So, you know, and, and, you know, when we talk about, you know, now this is really going to destroy the world as we know it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and, but at the same time, is, is it, you know, it's one of those things where after the initial insult 
to everything, uh, there's a there is a chance that that the planet will recover. I'll bet without you know most land animals, including humans. Um, if it hits hard enough, it'll uh, it'll cause you know, not only, you know, vaporization of water, but it's also going to cause a firestorm that would then, you know, r- run around the planet and cook everybody. Yeah. But, you know, uh, assuming that they basically landed mostly in water, you're going to get that. Now, there's another way that we can run into this, and that is is where we run into, for some reason, we, we run into a huge asteroid uh, field. It basically comes into the solar system from somewhere else. Uh, and... The asteroids are mostly water. So basically chunks of frozen ice floating through space. Right, but significantly large. I mean, we're talking about a, you know, oh, yeah, the size of stuff that would survive re-entry. Yeah. Well, no, no, it's going to hit the, it's going to melt and it's going to fall down as water and it's going to flood because of the rain, but it's also going to fill up, you know, make the oceans taller because the water can't just disappear. It has to go somewhere. Well, that's, a, that's the thing. If this is a frozen chunk of ice that is heading toward Earth, it yeah. is going to burn up and melt and re-entry. It's going to burn up where it's gone. It would have to be significantly huge piece of space ice to have any effect where it's not just going to go as soon as it Yeah, hits. probably about the size of the moon. Yeah, but it could happen. <laughs> It's, you know, there, that much water could, you know, and I mean, some people believe that some, you know, that a lot, some of the water on our world didn't come from, wasn't always here. It came from other, from, from you know, meteorites and asteroids that were in the solar system that, you know, came in and crashed into the planet and, and, and provided water. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's, and some people want to do that to, uh, uh, to Venus to basically turn to bioform it uh, uh, into a sister Earth. Well, yeah, because Venus, even though Mercury is closer, Venus suffers from like greenhouse effect on crack. Yeah. So yeah, it is. Even though Mercury is closer to the sun, Venus is much much hotter. We're talking five six hundred degrees. So. And it has a lot of pressure to it. Yeah, so that would have to that would be an interesting idea to at least cool. Well, well, it's already a steam bath, so all you're doing the water would actually it would have to be a massive amount of water to quote unquote cool things down. But even then, you'd still have to get rid of the the pressure factor. Well, what they has to do is it has to take all that sulfur dioxide and such that's in the air. Okay, that is the atmosphere of Venus and basically dissolve it into something like water. Okay, you might end up with sulfuric acid oceans, but it's no longer in the air, and so the pressure would almost immediately let up. Okay, all right. So that, that's the main thing. They're, they're basically trying, and the sulfur dioxide is a, is a classic greenhouse gas. So yeah. if it's out of the air, then the plant's going to cool down, and it's basically one of those cascade kind of things. Okay. So... All right, so that could happen, all right? And um, let's see here. Uh, oh, and there's just also the uh, some other... I, I did a really weird thing in, in one of my uh, adventures one time where I built a world where a... Uh, I, I, I didn't want to call it an asteroid. It was something quite a bit more powerful than that. I would, uh, it, it could have been a... Um, uh, a, a a tiny neutron star. I don't know sure what it was. I, it was important, basically. But what it did was it punched through the planet. 
Okay. And and so it basically created this, you know, basically what happened, you know, just, just imagine, um, I don't know, a piece of, uh, of clay and you poke your finger through it. Okay, so you've got this dimple that goes down on one side and then you've got it poking out the other. So there's this massive mountain range on the other side that literally went out into space outside the atmosphere and oh. the other side went down deeper and deeper so it act you know uh at the bottom of which it would be an ocean but because it went down so deep it was actually much higher pressure because now you had extra miles of extra of air on top of anybody who lived down there so it was this really weird ecosystem as a result of that so you could so you could have something like that happen and you know now you know what what happens when it hits the core i don't know or maybe it hits the core and it gets ejected you know somewhat um you know i if you put a if you put a uh, a, a mini black hole in there then it's just going to eat the planet so yeah. i'm not quite sure what it was i don't know maybe maybe uh you know uh i i really don't know i i just basically just made it up it was actually uh, it, it was actually supposed to be a super weapon that was you know set by somebody maybe they they um, just it was like antimatter. Antimatter okay. would be a good example. Just basically shoot antimatter at a planet so fast that it drills its way into the center and when it, or past the center, and when it finally slows down enough, it just explodes and just blows a whole big chunk out of the planet, which then does whatever it's going to do. Um, uh, I did the research on this. If a planet breaks apart, it does. It, it doesn't go flying like. It basically will settle into the orbit that the planet had and become an asteroid field. You might have some pieces that go off into elsewhere into the system. Yeah. But most likely if and it would take a massive I mean, our our core in order for our core to crack, it would take a massive infusion of energy or radioactive element. Right, that's why I said like antimatter. Yeah, you know, like, like a big, or, or, big I, chunk of it. I think the re the research I did was it had to be like a three, three mile core of uranium or a massive energy blast in the yeah. core would cause right. the planet to crack and then it would just form into another asteroid field. Right, and of course there's always the last option, which is where for some reason the planet gets irradiated with a lot of heat and all the ice melts. And it just goes flowing out over everywhere. I have, and, you know, I have an example of this, and it is an anime that friends of mine got me hooked in, and it was on Netflix, and sadly it is gone. It came out mid twenty thirteen. It is called Garganti that Gargantia on the Vergerous Planet. Now humanity had gone into space because Earth froze over. And they were now out in space with the sentient mecha and all this. Well, one of them gets shot through a wormhole trying to fight this other race and ends up back on Earth, which has since recovered and is now a massive water world. Yeah, I've seen this. Okay, good. Okay, you know what what I speak. Yes. And, and I like it. It's, it's nice. You know. It, yeah, it, it, was, it was a good series. I just have to find it now because Netflix got rid of it. But yeah, it's hard to find. It's... So it went from an ice world to a water world because the ice just all melted. They didn't explain why, but humanity was now 
basically like oil tankers that are like welded together with various riggings and whatnot. So you have like a flotilla of like 10 oil tankers and ocean liners all welded together and they're doing salvage from the ocean of, you know, the megalopoli that were on, you know, the, you know, like New York, Tokyo. And they just travel around the world and do this. Right. So, yeah, that is another good example of a post-apply. That would actually, I thought about trying to run a campaign based on that. So just, uh-huh. yeah. So that would be, if you can find Gargantia on the Virtuous Planet, as I said, it's no longer on Netflix. I know it might be on Hulu. I don't have Hulu. I, Check I'm it sure out. if you, I'm sure if you just put it in your browser, you would find a source. Yeah, JFGI, <laughs> folks. JFGI. Just sprawling Google it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So you know now. So so the with Waterworld. Okay. Usually you have you still you do have food, and you do have air. So you don't have problems along that lines. What you usually the problems you usually have are the fact that that um, people are being encroached upon. So you're literally fighting tooth and nail with your brothers and sisters trying to survive, okay? Uh, you know, because they're these and diseases, it, uh, you know, cholera, typhoid, you know, all those things. They get loose, they just race through crowds because people, you know, they're, they're, they're malnourished, they're, you know, they're all, a lot of them are already injured. They're, you know, they're, they're disrupted. They're under a ton of stress. And it's real easy for large populations to get sick and, and, and literally die. So uh, it's, that's the, that, that's the, and of course, you're, uh, you know, uh, there was a movie that uh, included the, uh, the main guy, one of the, one of the two main guys from uh, Mythbusters. Um the, uh, Adam or Jamie? Uh, Adam, Adam, and okay, he Adam Savage, yes. and, it, and it took place uh, in San Francisco. And they spent uh, in the movie they actually spent about twenty minutes talking to him. And he was this guy that was you know in this shop in in San Francisco trying his best to try to figure out ways of doing things that they were able to do before. And he said, look, I got, I'm trying to figure out a level of technology that we can actually maintain and pass on to our children. Because if all we do is scavenge from what remains, then our, our, our kids may be okay, but our grandkids are going to be hunting things with clubs. So he, you know, he was busy saying, "What, you know, what kind of forging can I do? What level? And if I forge metal, what, you know, how strong is it going to be? Can I make gears out of it? Can I, can I make guns out of it? You know, if I can, you know, can, can, uh, you know, where can I, you know, do I have the formula I need in order to make gunpowder? Um, because, you know, uh, air pressure rifles are probably uh, are, are a a better solution because they don't require chemistry and stuff like that, but they do require good metals in order to hold the pressure. So, you know, or you end up with crossbows, <laughs> which may be the way you might end up doing, you know, eventually. Uh, but he, he was trying to, you know, like how insulin, you know, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, you know, uh, heart medications don't exist. Uh, any, you know, almost only the most grossest, kinds of medical care can be provided uh, because, you know, I mean, even getting things like uh, knocking people unconscious so you can do an operation on them, you know, that's a that's a big job now. That's hard. That's dangerous to do, you know. Uh, 
and then you have to go in there and, and someone ha- and you have to hope that there's somebody who remembers how to do an app you know an appendectomy or you know the 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 the, the, the easier ones are things like um, uh, cesarean sections those are actually relatively safe to do because you know you're literally cutting through a layer of skin and a layer of muscle and then another layer of fibrous material right underneath that and and then you take the baby out and you just sew it all up yeah as long as the person does it as long as you can keep the field clean while you do it then the person is probably not going to go septic yeah uh you know anything else I mean, you can't do any any heart surgery. No. You can't do, you know, if someone gets a perforated ulcer, they may die. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and and uh, and infections of the limbs, you know, you get out the axe. Yep. Oh, so. like in the Old West, the, the pretty much the two things that the Old West doctor said. I don't know. Cut it off. Yeah. So it's uh, it, it's really tough. To uh, you know, when these things happen, because the, the all of the systems you are expecting fall, and you know, even in situations where you're able to have a large population, you know, there's going to be a really there's going to be a really quick sorting that goes on, where the powers that be say, "Give me a reason why we should feed you, or give me a reason why we should give you medicine." What or skills you, do you have that you will contribute yeah. to the community? There are no slackers in a post-apocalyptic yeah. community. Everybody right. has to do something in order to survive, or otherwise you get cast out or killed. Right. Right, yo, what can you do for us right now? Yeah. Embracing and, your inner Janet Jackson there. Yeah. Right. And we don't and we don't need a million janitors. Right. <laughs> Though we may you may end up with a million far dirt farmers oh. because you know that's you know, because it doesn't take a whole lot to dig a hole and put a uh, uh, some potato eyes into it yeah. and grow some potatoes. You know, and, and uh, in China, for the longest time, most of their population, they were basically in charge of about three acres. You know, that, that, that basically provided a family with uh, food and also what the government required to feed everybody else who was in the cities. Oh. And, uh, and, and I think it's to China's detriment that they decided that that land was better used industrially. And so now... They don't have that food anymore. Yeah, they they're getting they're they're. I, I'm like saying you okay. You're gonna buy it from America, you know, or, or are you gonna try to get it from South America? I mean, I'm just wondering where all this food's gonna come from when they eliminate you know a large section of their agrarian uh, areas. Yeah. So and and of course in a an apocalyptic world, you know the the air, arable ground might be short, short supply. So you end up with some other things like that, you know. Hey, see this nice flat area here that's got grass going on it? Okay, there's a death sentence for anybody who touches it. So everybody lives like literally in holes in the walls of the cliffs around, you know, because they don't dare go down there and touch it. They just, you know, they climb down once a day and somebody comes around and gives them their ration. They climb back up in their hole and they got to wait. And, and, you know, these are the ones, of course, who aren't aren't immediately useful. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So, uh, Waterworld. That's that's all I got for Waterworld. You want to take the next one? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah. You know <laughs> that I'm not a huge fan of this genre. So here we go. Thrown in the deep end. You like that segue from Waterworld to Zombie Apocalypse? Yes. 
Now, that's that, a very that, popular that, one. That's why I put it in a separate you category. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. But Bruce and I both know that, that this isn't one of my favorite genres. As I said, a few years ago, we went to Gen Con, and we made a list. It was 2013 or 2014. We made yes. a list of all the stuff that was in the dealer's room. It had to do with zombies. Bruce had a list of, like, 20-plus things. and y- At easily, least. Easily yeah. a quarter of them were some property linked to The Walking Dead. Yes. Zombies are still pretty popular in the consciousness. So, zombie... Oh, God, let's see. Of course, Night of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead, World War Z, which I hear is getting a sequel in the next couple years. It is? Hit movie, yes. Well, I mean, you know, it's 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 his it's his company. He can greenlight whatever he right. wants. But, yes, zombies have been in the public consciousness. Thank you, George Romero. Um, basically, you have shambling remnants of humanity walking around and they are just looking to spread their condition. And it could be due to many instances. You have, if it's a magical source, it could be a biological source. Like, matter of fact, uh, the Fringeworthy World Rogue 417 where you had people who were just degenerated into effectively zombies due to the virus affecting their brains. Right. Neurological degeneration causing super aggressive behavior. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Biochemical, magical. Trying to think what other forms of zombies there are. Uh, Well, there, there is the, the idea, you know, uh, that there's some invasive species that takes over your brain like they did, uh, um, which is like a real-life thing with some fungi and some ants uh, and also some um, some things like snails, but uh, in the movie The Last of Us. Not the movie, the video game Last of Us. Oh, heck, and I was mentioning this with Bruce. Um, Palladium Books has three post-apocalyptic games. Of course, Rips is their most popular one, but also Splicers and Systems Failure. Now, Systems Failure has zombies, but they are due to basically grub worms being inserted up the nose of humans that are held, they're gassed into like a stupor and then the worms just sort of you know, go up the old nostril and they rest in the frontal lobe of the brain. So yeah, right. that that could be considered, you could run that as a zombie apocalypse game where your militiamen and survivalists are going up against what they call the grubworm zombies or silkworm right. zombies. That's what it is. So yeah, okay. there's invasive species, biochemical, and magical. Those are the three that I think three main sources of. Right, and and by magical, you're also including things like you know supernatural curse type well, stuff. Well, yeah, you know voodoo or whatever. You know a hoon. It's a it's a curse from God. Basically, yeah. God has cursed this world with zombieism. So yeah, those yeah. are the three major versions of zombieism. And basically because the population now if it's a a a minor outbreak like the one that Earth Prime in you know came in upon in Pencil no what was it, Norwin, Pennsylvania? Yeah. That's where the portal is. Yeah. It's it's um uh oh shoot. Um Oh, um, I can't think of it now. Uh, it's not Steubenville. Maybe it is Steubenville. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, they, they have a mall down there, and that's you know where the George Romero actually filmed. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Dawn of the Dead. 
but yeah, that's where Rich did there then. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, basically, it was a small scale zombie outbreak, and Bureau Thirteen was there trying to deal with it, and that's when the the IDET came through, and they thought, oh, it's a zombie apocalypse. The entire world's like this. And the Bureau came and said, no, no, this is a minor outbreak. Hence the trade technology agreement between Bureau 13 and Unita on Earth Prime happened because of that limited zombie outbreak. Right. Now, if you have something like Rogue 417 or even Cloisters, because after the bomb, a lot of radio radiation, that's the, well, that'd be biochemical. I yeah. would love that under biochemical. Basically, it's, it's a neurological degeneration. Yeah. But basically, Cloisters could be considered a zombie apocalypse game because you have those just wandering around that have basically lost control of their faculties and they're just shambling. Mm-hmm. So that one also could be a for a, a zombie. But that is more wide. Well, even then, no. With Rogue 417 and Cloisters, you still have maybe 10% of the population are this. Then you got the stuff like World War Z and I Am Legend, I believe, was could be considered another zombie apocalypse movie. Oh, de- de- well, yeah, it, it was. Uh, ironically, the book, okay, it was, they were vampires. But when they got, but but when they, uh, and even when they got onto the, the first one with Vincent Price, they were still vampires. But then after that, all the ones that they made after that, they were zombies. Yeah. Well, I think that's because zombie, or, or like ghouls, maybe. Yeah. Zo- ghouls are just basically kind of zombies that crave human flesh. Yeah. Yeah, it was the it was the um, Omega Man that transformed yeah, them yeah. essentially into zombies. And then I Am Legend was just a remake of the Omega Man, uh, right? With Will Smith, and so yeah. Now, if you have the massive where it's an outbreak where you have like World War Z, as I said, the Brad Pitt movie, and I remember seeing that trailer where you're seeing the fast zombies and they're forming like a human ramp to get up to these people, like they're get trying to get into the helicopter. And you're seeing the aerial shot for the trailer, and it's just thousands of zombies climbing on each other to just try. They're to get swarming. Them. Oh man, that, I never. I'm not. As I said, not a zombie fan, but I saw that and that scared the mess out of me. I'm just looking at that, going, "Oh no." Yeah, that is you thought you were high enough, but you, but you're, yeah, but you need to get higher. No, no. What's that <laughs> phrase like? Ron White says, "I don't know how many zombies they have, but I know how I can see how many they're gonna get." to get up here (laughs) but yeah Yeah. so yeah zombie that can be a scale you could have a limited zombie outbreak in a town or it could be pretty much you are like part of the last one percent of people left on the planet and zombies everywhere right yeah and that's and and that's where you kind of hope and that kind of brings us into our fourth one which is biohazard yeah Okay, and zombies are are usually a form of biohazard. Uh, if you're if you're lucky, you're in a world where it's actually they're supernatural, because then that means that if they bite you or scratch you or something or spit on you or whatever, uh, they don't turn you into a zombie. You have to die before that happens, uh, because there's lots of movies where literally you just get touched by a zombie, then everyone just turns to you and blows you away because it's yeah. it's just a matter of time now before it, you know you're going to turn and attack them too 
So you, the the most you could do is, is say, okay, I'll stand here and hold them off because I'm doomed. You guys get off there. Don't worry about me. Yeah. Uh, and you get into those, you know, this Rambo. Yeah. yeah. Situations. Yeah. Go, I'm your daddy thing from Peacekeeper Wars. Yeah. Um, Yo. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> let's see. Can still get infected. Yeah. So that's the question. Can you still get infected if it's a biohazard? Because there's lots of um, there's lots of post-apocalyptic situations where you know basically a, a plague kills everybody. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, they pretty much thought that was going to happen with the bubonic plague, but you know, there was enough. Well, Lord knows we tried enough damn times. I mean, yeah, there was there was enough lonely places in the world that that turned out not to be the case. No, it's funny and, because the aforementioned roommate. Bruce heard him snarking before you take. He's got, and it's about the Black Plague, and it has all the dates that it happened, but it's like a band tour shirt. Oh, yeah, I, I've, got, I've seen that before. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's like, yeah, we know the Black Plague, you know, it, it, it was, yeah, no matter how we tried, you know, it kept coming back. It was, it was like a boomerang thing. Um, so, yeah, it was like, what, 10, 12 times, you know, throughout the course of a century, it just... Oh, look, more, you know, Ring Around the Rosie, which is where that old rhyme comes from, from the bubonic plague, because of the sores that you get, red-colored, Ring Around the Rosie, pocket full of posies, because you would carry posies, I guess, to, it was symbolic in some reason. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. You had to burn the bodies afterwards, so. There, see, learn, y'all learn something new every day. Lord knows I've been right. learning stuff all night here. Um, yeah, and, and and sometimes surviving uh, one plague actually acts as a um, you build up antibodies. Uh, yeah, it helps you toughen uh, you against round two, to, three, to a to a no to a totally different plague because well, uh, it turns yeah well because it turns it turns out that like ten, uh, that ten uh, percent of Europeans seem to be safe from HIV and they're descended from people who survived the plague, the bubonic plague. Okay. All right. So it's possible that the plague, uh, you know, acted as a as, as as a preparatory, you know, <laughs> if you're going to give nature any, uh, which I don't do, but if you give nature any kind of a purpose, okay, you know, what does nature want? Then this would be okay. We we killed off a lot of people, but that's so the next plague that came along, which is even worse, you know, uh, because you, you you guys can't keep from transmitting it to each other. <laughs> uh, is is not going to kill everybody because ten percent of you are immune. Well, they found out what it was eventually. Everyone thought it was the rats that were coming in off of ships from the, from Asia. I almost said the old term, and I don't I don't want to anger any of our Asian listeners. That old term being the Orient, which is now we don't use that anymore. No, okay. it was the fleas on the rats. Right. And it was actually a, a, a practically a bloodborne parasite because the fleas bit people who were infected or other things that were infected, and then when they bit again, you know, it got into the the blood. Yeah. And so, so it was and, a pathogen, so, basically. Yeah. It was a pathogen that was that was transmitted by a, a large, a relatively large carrier because fleas are tiny, but they're not that tiny. So yeah, and it's and, funny, and of course we've actually had a few cases in the U.S. of the bubonic plague in, like, the last decade. I oh, think yeah. There's, Denver. Oh, 
Yeah, we that, that happens every year. There's one or two cases. Most of them come from people traveling yeah. here from other countries. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's we, like we, there is flu and swine flu. You know, SARS. Yeah. It's same thing. Yeah. Yeah. But um, still, the point is, is that every time someone says this plague is officially dead, I'm like, oh please. <laughs> there's some tomb somewhere where some poor. You know, there's there's something insisted somewhere. Oh, oh, Bruce, biohazard. This is a good thing. Okay, I don't know if you've been reading this lately, and and we've obviously found out that Bruce is somewhat better and more well-versed in science than I am. That because of all the global warming and ice melting and whatnot, Ah, uh there are viruses that have been frozen for millennia. And they are exposed again. And it's like, okay, we've already found some. What else has been frozen for 10, 20, 30,000 years up at the North Pole and the South Pole? And now it's back because it's in the soil. Right. Do you remember that? Permafrost is not, it's getting to be where some of the permafrost ain't so perma anymore. Yep. Yep. Do you remember the episode of the um, X-Files? where they were they, they had this logging company that went into this old growth forest and started chopping down trees and there was something that was inside of some of these really really old trees that were thousands of years old as some kind of insect and it basically started spawning and coming out and killing people it was it, you know, it saved it was it was apparently it was afraid of light and so they were like you know in rooms with sh- flashlights all shining away from them all around, hoping for dawn to come. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not, that must have been a later episode, because I only really wa- got to watch the first couple seasons of that series. Pretty sure it was in the first season, mm. if not the second. No later than that, I'm sure of that. Mm. Yeah, well, it's also it was, been, what, almost 30 years since that series has come out, so... Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. yeah. I'd have to anyway, find yeah. so, But, yo, that, that, that's another, yeah, another interesting thing. Things that are just... Due to man uncovering things that nature has kept hidden one way or another. And, yeah, it comes out and says, hi, how you doing? Glad to be back. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, a disease, for example, that kills um, species of grass, okay? Well, all of our grains are based upon that. And corn. Corn is considered technically a grass. Right. And so something that kills grass could essentially, would, would kill, you know, in very short order would end up with throwing the world into massive starvation. And, of course, the government wouldn't be able to deal with it. There would be uprisings. The government would collapse. You know, you'd end up with armed camps trying Food to protect what, res- yeah. what resources they have. And then people would die. And then they would, you know, you'd have pestilence because of their bodies. Oh, you know, all the things. We- <laughs> here's something else about a biohazard. And this has pretty much been proven, and uh, for those of you fans of the original CSI series, Carl Grissom was a entomologist. His main thing was the study of insects, and he was the first one that put out there, and they have since found out, yeah, this was right, they just put it in CSI, that if bees were to die, and bees are starting to be, they're, they're, they're pretty damn near, if not on the endangered species list, if bees were gone because of how they pollinate our flowers and how they grow things, Humanity will die in four years. So if in 2020 bees are extinct, humanity will be gone by 2024. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast 
is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.